Welcome in. You are listening to the Blue Notes podcast, a presentation of Indianapolis cold stories and notes. I'm your host, Benji Taylor. <laughs> That's me. This is episode number 23 of season two, 69 overall. So I don't know if you want to call this the Michael Jordan episode, the Kenny Moore episode, <laughs> or maybe just the Matt Pryor episode. I'll leave that up to you. Michael Jordan seems like kind of a high bar to reach, uh, but you be the judge of that. We'll see. I have a question for you, Colts fans. Let me ask you something. Do you see that little tiny flicker in the distance? Do you see that? Do you see it? It's like the Rambo torch pulsing deep through the watery cave riddled with rats lighting the way home. Can you see that? That, my friends, is a little tiny flicker of hope. After week two, the embarrassing loss at Jacksonville, I wrote off this season as a total loss. I did it. Kind of like my Ford F-150 after the engine blew. It was a total loss. The 22 Colts seemed like a lost cause, but Sunday afternoon, as Indy completed a two-game win streak, I started to believe again. In this week's episode, I'll admit that maybe I was wrong about this team. I was plausibly and therefore gladly wrong. Well, we'll see about that. In week three, the Colts beat the Chiefs, and it was a phenomenal performance, even if it was a season outlier. It was a great win, but I think Sunday's victory over the visiting Jags was the Colts' best performance so far. The offense came alive for the first time this season by doing exactly what I hoped they would do. I've been wrong about this team. Listen, I have. There's no doubt about that. In fact, why don't you come with me? We'll take a quick trip down my emotional roller coaster. Listen, I'll show you how this thing has turned and flipped from my perspective. Before the season started, I predicted the Colts would win 12 games, not because I thought they could, but more because I, I thought they should. It was more about timing than anything else. They brought in another older quarterback. Quentin, Shaq, and JT all seemed to be phasing into their prime years, and the division was dipping. It was now or never. Then the game started and now looked more like never. I backed off that 12-win prediction faster than I can pound an Oreo milkshake. And let me tell you, that's fast. After five and a half quarters of football, I had given up hope. That's not entirely true. I had acknowledged that a turnaround was neither logical nor feasible, but I was still hopeful that I could be wrong. Week three showed signs of life, but the week four loss against the Titans was 2021 all over again, yet somehow worse. Instead of Carson Wentz throwing the ball right to the Titans, this time it was old Matt Ryan. New quarterback, same head-scratching turnovers. I was flummoxed, not just by the end result, but specifically how bad the offensive line had played. Through four weeks of football, a mounting number of problems were exposed. And I began to think how the Colts could proceed. A couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I discussed some realistic, practical things the Colts could do to recover the season and potentially win some games. The big problems were unfixable. You're not getting a better quarterback or coach right now. That's not happening. Many of you thought the wide receivers were a problem. I wasn't in that camp, but 
That was another issue that couldn't be changed midseason anyway, not unless you think Robbie Anderson is the answer. Uh, Regardless, the Colts, who clearly have a future quarterback problem, should not be giving up draft picks to acquire a stud wideout in hopes to recover what might be a lost season already. No, some things with this team just cannot be fixed right now. But I did believe then, and I talked about this, that there are realistic things this team can do to win games right now. There are two. The first was to turn the ball over less. <laughs> That's it. It's not rocket science, and that is actually something that these players can control. Limit the terrible decisions, possess the ball, and give yourselves a chance to win some games. They were even in the turnover battle in Denver and won that game. It was visually <laughs> unpleasant, but they won it. The second thing I thought this team could do to better their chances was to speed up the offense. Speed up the offense for Pete's sake. Actually, for Matt Ryan's sake, he was getting killed out there. I suggested setting a giant clock. And I I don't know if the clock would be more like the lightning shucked clock tower from Back to the Future, a visible fixture in practice, or, or just a mental ticking motion. Either way, I would set it at two seconds and tell old QB Maddie to get rid of it before two seconds expires. That's it. No exceptions. And if he has to throw it in the dirt and punt, I'd take that every time over a fumble or interception. That was my plan. I thought it would be better executed out of the shotgun, and sadly, the quicker rhythm would lean more on the pass than run. This was the only way I could imagine living with such a leaky offensive line. In fact, leaky is a generous term to use. I might say that the O-line had been brutalized and mistreated. And overcoming their woes meant creating a speedier offensive rhythm and pace. I suggested snapping from the shotgun more and running the ball less. But listen, I bit my tongue as I said that because I love, love the run game. I always have. But at some point, you have to recognize what you cannot do. And these Colts hadn't shown that they could create a crease the size of a stick bug. They had to subtract the run game from the equation to give themselves a real chance at winning. And Sunday, they did just that. They executed the exact plan that I imagined, and they did it to perfection. It was as if Coach Reich was listening to this podcast. Coach, if you are listening, I'm terribly sorry for being so unkind after the Jacksonville loss in Week 2. I still love you, man. Uh, I'm sure he's not listening, but... It was the perfect plan to beat the Jags and his old boss on the home field. It was a beautiful plan that worked beautifully, yet it was kind of weird. (laughs) Matt Ryan threw 58 times for 389 yards and three touchdowns with zero interceptions. No fumbles or sacks for Matt Ryan, and the team scored 34 points while only accumulating 45 yards on the ground. It was like bizarro world, but it was necessary. It was necessary and it is also unsustainable. Let's acknowledge that right now. It was a great plan for Sunday and it can help create a salve for the O-line problem, but it is not a long-term answer. But that's okay. Remember, every game is its own story. What we saw Sunday doesn't have to continue over 18 weeks of football. 
it was the right plan to win Sunday. That's it. The offensive line needs time to find its footing, to work in the right lineup. That process needs time, and a quicker passing offense can provide that. Sunday was a massive step forward for that front line unit. One of my... One of my favorite things to do in in this whole podcast is to say how embarrassingly wrong I was. Well, my idea was to bench Ryan Kelly for Danny Pinter at center. That was dumb. <laughs> that was dumb. Uh, Pinter, let's just be honest, has sucked. Has sucked at right guard. So why would we reward him by starting him over a pro bowler one spot to his left? Uh, I'm glad the Colts didn't take my advice. Ryan Kelly started at center. Nelson stayed at left guard. Matt Pryor was moved to right guard. Braden Smith returned to his natural position at right tackle, while rookie Bernard Ryman got the start at left tackle. Incidentally, veteran Dennis Kelly subbed in for Ryman in what was meant to be some kind of rotation, but Dennis didn't relinquish his spot, and this very well could be the lineup going forward. They certainly had more success than any other musical chairs order of blockers. Pryor is still struggling, but right guard seems like the better fit than leaving him on an island at either end. Any replacement left on the roster has had his own struggles anyway, so you're basically just starting the one who has struggled a little less than the others, and I I think that's Matt Pryor. The quick tempo won't work every week, but I do think it can buy the time needed for the Colts O-line to find its new identity. Dennis Kelly, the new old left tackle, as I mentioned, just came in and snatched the starting spot from the rookie Ryman. I thought the move worked brilliantly, but some fans out there on the media is worried that the Colts are crushing the spirits of young players by benching them. (laughs) To this I say, tough luck man, (laughs) who freaking cares about your feelings? (laughs) Uh, This is football. In all seriousness, the young rookies have to know that a starting job in this league isn't something gifted to anyone. It's taken and earned every week. Nick Cross was benched and now Ryman, and if I were Coach Reich, I wouldn't lose a second sleep over it, mostly because the moves were the right ones to make. In their places, Rodney McLeod has added a calming yet booming presence to the defense while Dennis Kelly and his long dark locks has potentially become the missing piece that spurs on this unit. Those were the right moves and if they crushed the spirits of the rookies drafted, well then the Colts drafted the wrong rookies. Down the corridor, way down through the passage from history to hindsight, I can see a little fiery orange dancer. It's not much, but I see it. It two steps and snaps and pops, the dark shadows morphing around against the wet cave walls. What I see is a new flicker of hope, Colts fans. Is it new? I'm not sure if it was existing or if I just wasn't seeing it. There's no way of knowing, but I see it now. The Colts aren't burned out yet. No, the flicker that was once believed to be watered out and singed now snaps in open sight. The flame roared with great expectations prior to the opening day kickoff. Then back-to-back duds gushed a bucket of cold water on it. It smoked and became invisible, but I see it now. 
there's hope again. To be clear, this team still has its issues. The big, unfixable problems are still with us. But now, I think we're starting to see a way forward. A way that this team can win some games this season and stay competitive. Thank God. Tanking was never really an option, at least not from within the organization. But I have to admit, three weeks ago, I wanted to blow the whole thing up and start over. But all it took was a Sunday afternoon win against Jacksonville to make me believe again. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but could the win against the Jags be the turning key motion that unlocks this offense? As ugly as this team has been through the first five weeks, wouldn't you admit that you've seen some really nice flashes in nearly every game? All three tight ends have had their moments. Moe and rookie Jelani Woods both have multi-touchdown games while Granson looks a hundred times better than he did last year. He already has more receiving yards this year than all of last season. And it's not just the tight ends. The wide receivers are better than you think they are. Paris Campbell is completely healthy and is easily having his best season as a pro. Like Granson, Campbell has more yards through six games this season than he's had in any of his past three seasons in the league. Rookie Alec Pierce at times looks unguardable, and Michael Pittman Jr. has clearly emerged as a true number one wideout. The trouble is that these flashes have been inconsistent. Before Sunday, the Colts were too riddled with sacks and turnovers to put together a complete effort, so the flashes were just glimpses of what could be instead of glaringly showing what will be. The run game has struggled, yet Sunday provided a way around the problem. Matt Ryan was able to get the ball in the hands of his backup running back, Deion Jackson, for a career day, albeit mostly through the air, but it worked. In the recent past, the Colts have relied on its O-line to win games and now must find a way to win despite them. It's unfortunate, but Sunday provided the blueprint, and maybe that game is the one that turns the key that unlocks this offense. There is still a ways to go. There's no doubt about that. But I like the flexibility that was shown against Jacksonville. Two weeks ago, the Colts won a gross one on the road. A week later, they changed their entire offensive scheme to score one at home. This team is growing and learning and adapting, and that's what we want to see. Listen, I wish they would play better in September. I do. I'm as frustrated as you are about the cold, dead starts. It's so, so frustrating. It is. But this is a smart team, and a smart team learns from its mistakes and it figures out a way forward. I think we're seeing that from our Colts. I'll say this. I'd rather have our team start slow and come into form rather than start fast and flame out. It would be nice to have the best of both, of course, but I don't think that's in the cards for us. Let's close with this. I want to give a game ball to one Colts player following that performance. Alec Pierce would certainly be a candidate. That drop touchdown pass in game one seems like a distant fictional event now, not even on his radar. How can you not be excited about this player? He's athletic and smart and has uncoachable height. Pierce is a gamer. Taekwon Lewis, one of my favorite defenders, is having a great year so far. I was excited about this player coming into the season. His 2021 season started well, but was stamped out with a serious knee injury. 
He's back and making an impact. Deion Jackson was every bit the player I thought he could be. We saw a tiny bit of it last year and in this year's preseason, but Sunday was his chance to silence the doubters, and he did. It's still mind-boggling to me that so many sources pegged D-Jack below Philip Lindsay on the preseason depth chart. Some people didn't even have him making the roster. That was a mystery to me. I don't necessarily see him playing much when JT is healthy, but I would like to see him get five or so carries per game. I think injecting him into the backfield just enough to keep JT fresh and under 30 carries will work wonders for the Colts this year and for JT's career going forward. Deion Jackson can be that man. However, my game ball is going to Michael Pittman Jr. MPJ. That guy is clutch. His ability to get open and convert third downs turned that game entirely. That schematic change had no chance without MPJ. It was a career game for him in yards and catches, and I'm glad he's on our side. With Alec Pierce getting better and Paris Campbell becoming a consistent presence, defenses won't be able to just focus all their energy on MPJ. Finally, this receiving core is taking shape. Now, let's hope the O-line follows. Sunday, the Colts play in Tennessee for a chance to extend the win streak. Getting JT and Hines back healthy should help. Uh, Last Sunday was really, really fun. But, you know, I don't care if the Colts want to speed the tempo or not. Number one priority needs to be protecting the football. And you'll remember that from the last time when they got whipped by the Titans. They need to protect the ball. If they protect the ball, they have a chance. Enjoy the game, take care, and go Colts. Uh, I want to share something with you, Colts fans. Uh, My son, Finn, is in the hospital right now. He's there tonight as I record this. Thankfully, his uh, mom, my wife there, is, is there with him. Um, and I'm home with the younger two. Uh, but he's been in the hospital all week. It's been a very tough week. Um, he has RSV and uh, pneumonia, also with asthma. The three don't mix all that well. And he's had a tough week. Thankfully, there was never really any great danger. He's just been very uncomfortable, difficult, and very sad as well. So, um, you know, I debated on whether to do an episode this week, whether to, to press on. But I got to tell you, you know, thinking about the Colts doing this, writing about them, thinking about Blue Notes, it does get my mind off of things that are sometimes just too hard really to think about. So um, in a way, football, Blue Notes, kind of like my therapy. um, And I felt like I needed it. And uh, so I wanted to share that with you. This one's for Finn. I love you, buddy. This was a presentation of the Blue Notes Podcast. I'm Benji Taylor. Thanks for listening.